Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning on this Friday, the 25th of June, 2021. Um, I want to begin with a re- just a brief reflection on what's going on in Surfside, Florida. We reported yesterday morning the collapse of a multi-story building in Surfside, and we did not know at that point in time um, about the status of the people who had been asleep in their beds uh, in the 12 stories of that building when it pancake collapsed. Um, at about 2 a.m. We now know that the uh, confirmed death toll has risen to three as of this morning, but there are nearly 100 people who remain unaccounted for. And every time I see that word, no matter where it appears, no matter whose lips it falls from, when I hear people described as unaccounted for, I my mind is just immediately drawn to the reality that God knows the status, the circumstance, and the location of every single person. God has accounted for them all. And I I want us to remember that and I want us to live in that confidence as we have this particular conversation today. President Biden has approved an emergency declaration um, ordering federal federal assistance to supplement uh, the state of Florida and the city of Miami's local response efforts. And we do want to continue to pray for not only the first responders, but the layer now, layers of responders uh, who will not only be on the scene, but who will be responsible for uncovering uh, not only uh, the people whose bodies uh, are remain in um, in what is a debris pile that is hard to imagine, um, but the people who will also uncover what happened and peel back the layers of that as well. The whole thing's difficult to imagine, and yet, and yet, it's not actually unimaginable. Things like this happen. We know that. We literally live in a fallen world. And so we might have been shocked and horrified, and rightly so, but as Christians, we're not surprised. We live in a fallen world where hurricanes rage and pandemics strike and heat waves are a reality, and as we talked about yesterday, famine is real. We know bad things happen. We just never expect bad things to happen to us. And so I want to pause there for a moment because we should be living with the expectation um, of, of God's glory and God's redemptive presence and God's power. Absolutely. And I'm not seeking to take anything away from that. I mean, one of the things that I love to repeat and to encourage us to do is to expect always the unexpected and anticipate miracles, knowing that with God, all things are possible. Absolutely. 100%. But we also need to be people who live with the expectation that we're going to be excluded and reviled and spurned um, on account of Christ. I'm thinking there of Jesus's specific words in Luke 6, 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, 
when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. It's not an if. It's a when. Like, when is this going to happen? Not if, if it's going to happen. Um, Paul reminded us that every person who seeks to or desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to be persecuted. And when we think about persecution globally, um, we recognize that what we experience here in the United States um, is 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 nothing likened unto what people are experiencing around the globe. So let's be praying today for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. The, the bride of Christ is persecuted around the globe. The church is persecuted. Um, you and I experience that in some ways, but in, in no measure close to what is experienced by others. And, and when we talk about the fallen nature of reality, we can be shocked and horrified with everyone else and sickened by the loss of life and the tragic circumstance of the building collapse in, in Miami or in Surfside. But we're not surprised by it. We're not surprised by it. We're shocked and horrified, but we're not surprised. We do live in a fallen world. Indeed, all creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption. Next up, Matt Hawkins and I are going to turn our attention to one really good news story that we want to share with you. It's about the complexity of life and God's goodness and grace in the midst of it. We'll be right back. Matthew Hawkins joins me again today. You can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. You can also find him on Twitter at MTHawk. Hi, Matt. Welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. It's been a while. How are you? I know. I know. Good morning. I am well. I am well. All right. So um, you and I have both read this story in the Washington Post. If you're like me, you didn't get through it without your nose running and um, water Mm -hmm. falling from your eyes. Um, (sighs) Tell people the story of Lisa and Peter Marshall. Yeah, so from the Northeast, we have a story of of Peter and Lisa. Peter Marshall is 56 years old, and he and Lisa just renewed their wedding vows recently. Why did they do that? Well, turns out Peter basically forgot that they were married. Why is this? Because Peter, at age 56, has early-onset Alzheimer's and basically apparently forgot kind of forgot that he was married to Lisa. And so he proposed and they got married again. And it's delightful. Yeah. It's a celebration a story. of life. It um, is. And it's, and it's a celebration of marriage and it's that for yeah. better, for worse, for richer, for poor in sickness and in health, forsaking all others until death do us part. And in this culture where that's just not how a lot of people continue to approach, um, the reality of marriage and the complexity of life. I loved this story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it, it's a good story, uh, to remind us about, you know, you and I talk a lot about politics and, and kind of, uh, big picture kinds of things. Um, it's, it's important to keep in mind people are experiencing, uh, uh, life, uh, in really dramatic fashions. Um, in the course of, uh, uh, you know, when we clear away the headlines and step away from it and, uh, this, this kind of thing, it's both, it's like a really great story 
um, because it's a really great affirmation of, of life. And like you said, marriage, um, but this family has gone through a really tough period. It continues to go through a tough period. Uh, he went from, uh, in 2017, Peter went, um, starting, there was evidence that he was starting to forget words to finish sentences. Um, pretty basic words like airplane. Uh, and in 2018, they went to a neurologist and, uh, started to see evidence of early onset Alzheimer's. And then by 2019, he had to quit his job and she had to quit her job uh, to become his full-time caregiver. So in a span of two years, uh, their life was dramatically changed uh, in their mid-50s. And uh, they've got um, they've now uh, got a Facebook blog that um, is trying to encourage other caregivers facing the similar challenges. And I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of folks who are in these kinds of situations really feel alone. Uh, and, uh, it's, these are clearly, op, uh, you know, opportunities to, uh, showcase, uh, what we might call a pro-life ethic, right. Um, from, uh, from, uh, you know, from conception to natural death and everywhere in between. Right. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, people who, uh, are, are at home giving care to their loved ones and sometimes their spouses, um, we need to make sure our, like our local churches are, are keeping those people in mind and reaching out to them. Cause I, they can, I think kind of easily fall out of the radar, you know? Um, and, uh, I think Absolutely. this is a good word to, to remind us of that. Um, and, uh, e even as advanced as our healthcare is and, and resources that some people may have, um, it's still a pretty lonely, uh, lonely, it can be pretty lonely, um, when you're uh, giving care to your spouse for you know, 24 hours a day. Um, and, uh, so this is a pretty neat story about the celebra celebration of life and marriage. Uh, and, uh, like you said, uh, till death do us part and, uh, coming to us from Connecticut, uh, in the Northeast. And, uh, so it's a really, really exciting story. Um, the story ends and I, uh, the, the story chronicled by the Washington post ends, um, in this way. Um, on difficult days, she remembers what her husband told her as they danced to their favorite song, Brown Eyed Girl, after they renewed their wedding vows. He whispered in my ear, thank you for staying. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to take a brief break. We'll be right back. Goodness. Yeah. I see you dressed in Continue my conversation now with Matthew Hawkins. Um, <clears throat> yes, I have regained my composure. Um, mm -hmm. Matt is the former policy director for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, he he writes at MatthewTHawkins.com. You can follow him on Twitter at MTHawk. Matt, we often talk about the life issue um, mm -hmm. or issues related to life because of the topic of abortion. And so yes. thank you for having an expanded conversation there about all the ways in which we are pro-life from sure. uh, from conception to natural death. Let's talk about, though, the, um, the ongoing abortion conversation in this country. Um, the, the president's press secretary has a, I mean, she has an increasingly difficult job. I mean, it's a challenge hmm. to, you know, parse the difference between private faith and public faith and the conversations about um, the president's uh, Catholicism. And a part of that conversation has to do with the life issue. So yeah. um, when asked, does the president believe that a 15 week old unborn baby is a human being like the press secretary is challenged to answer that in a way that is 
accurate to the president's um, own personal convictions, but also yeah. satisfying to his base. Right. Um, which it's a really fascinating moment in American politics. And uh, I, I, this is not to be lost on us. I mean, uh, the, the notion that I mean, you and I have been in part of the pro-life movement for for decades at this point. Uh, the idea that a president, uh, a president's that in the White House at a press briefing, uh, uh, someone would even a journalist would even ask that question of a press secretary specifically about you know 15 weeks uh, gestation. This is new territory, Carmen. Like I'm actually really encouraged. I mean, I know this the story here is kind of a you know the the conflict between what the president believes about. Uh, an unborn child and whether they are they are or are not human or deserve life um, versus uh, his continued defense of abortion on demand. Um, that's a really, uh, you know, <laughs> obvious conflict to a lot of us. Right. Um, and yet you and we kind of come from this perspective that we we're not sure or at least not confident. And maybe we, maybe we believe it's uh, the most most of the media uh, personnel are kind of in the same pro-choice uh, camp uh, as as uh, uh, many of our elected officials. Uh, so to actually get this question on the floor of the, you know, <laughs> of the White House it's press briefing, it's really a moment, right? Uh, yeah. I take that as a really encouraging sign that journalists uh, are willing, that a journalist is willing to ask this um, and kind of put in what, you know, um, one philosopher called the kind of a wedge of truth, right? Uh, even maybe in spite of themselves, uh, right? This is a this is a pretty impressive moment, and so it exposes um, a really cognitive dissonance dissonance here between what the president says he believes about unborn life uh, and what uh, he believes laws ought to be regarding uh, the protection or not protection of that life. Uh, so it's a really fascinating moment here. Uh, that's my reaction. Did you have the same reaction? Um, fascinating moment. Um, I think it was not lost on me that the reporter asking the question is a woman. Um, yeah. and the reporter asking the question is an African-American woman. And mm -hmm. I am wondering if the conversation changes as the people having the conversation change. Um, yeah. This is it's, oh, sure. it's hard. It's hard to disregard um, the importance of this question when it is asked out of the mouth of a woman and yeah. out of the mouth of uh, an African-American woman. It, it's just different. It's just different when the question about this comes from um, a person of color, particularly a woman versus coming from, let's say, a white man. It's just sure. different. And you could see that it was hard for the press secretary to answer the question. You could see she was yeah. uncomfortable. You could see it was hard for her to answer the question. And I think that hard questions should be hard to answer and they should yeah. be answered. And so I appreciate that, uh, that Jen Psaki answered the question. I think the answer is unfortunate. And I think that the conversation provoked by, okay, we have this president who says he believes these things? He he says he yeah. ascends to this uh, ascends to this faith, this Christian faith, and this variety of Christian faith, Roman Catholicism, and in Roman Catholicism, you know, life is regarded as precious and unique mm -hmm. and created by God and sustained by Him and His to give and His to take, and therefore no abortion. And so, how do you continue to say I am this when 
when what you're doing in in public and in public policy and in advocacy is completely disconnected from what you yeah. say you believe. Like I don't know how a person lives in that kind of cognitive dissonance. Right. Yeah, it's it's really tough, and I, I think we're, our impulse sometimes is to uh, kind of shake our fist right in the air and and say "ha," you know, um, you know, inconsistent or you know, uh, I don't know, a sinner or you know, some, some kind of accusation. Uh, I think it's an opportunity to kind of really continue to press in there and say, so, "Do you understand? Do you see how inconsistent this is?" Right. I want to keep yeah. going and pressing into that conversation, uh, and I think you know, it's it's maybe a lesson for a lot of us. I think. Uh, you could kind of back up and into a bigger picture and see where we we also might be inconsistent in applying our faith uh, to the public space and public life, right? Um, some some issues where we're for perfectly comfortable on left or right uh, to uh, apply our faith or say we're applying our faith, and there are other issues where we think that uh, religion should be silent, right? Uh, and we then we we maybe cite uh, separation of church and state or something like that, right? And so I think you, you see this a little bit on the left and the and the right on very varying issues, and I think uh, the uh, the Biden um, and the press secretary's experience here uh, brings into really visible, uh, re- really visible sight um, the conflict over abortion uh, and uh, and and not applying a faith, not applying a particular a person's faith to the public space and his public policy beliefs, uh, which is really unfortunate. Um, and and on, you know, and to Biden's credit, for many you know significant for decades of his career, at least he had supported the Hyde Amendment, um, which is kind of the scrimmage line between uh, pro-choice folks and and pro-life folks regarding uh, federal funding for abortion. Uh, it was only when he ran for president that he uh, decided to to welch on that that agreement and that deal and now supports uh, overturning Hyde uh, or I'm sorry uh, kind of repealing Hyde or not letting Hyde continue in federal legislation so um, you, it's for a lot of us who've been paying attention to politics and particularly democratic politics as it relates to um, the abortion issue we're not terribly surprised uh, but you're right this this moment with the sec- uh, with the press secretary uh, and the journalist uh, was really really a fascinating, if brief, moment uh, in American politics related to the abortion issue. And uh, I'm glad we got to see that. I think, uh, you know, for those of us who follow this kind of thing, we got to stick that in our back pocket <laughs> to yeah. cite later uh, to say, look, the president believes this, right? Um, and it's always, a, it's a strategic opportunity, right, to use um, to use the words of um, kind of your opposition, basically, on any given issue in support of your own argument. Um, so this, this is kind of a revealing moment um, in the life of American politics and on the abortion issue. So I think we'll just use our last couple of minutes here to make people aware of the Women's Health Protection Act, which was first introduced in 2013. Democratic senators reintroduced uh, this pro-abortion bill last week in reaction to the progress that's being made in state legislatures across the country in relationship to the protection of the rights of the unborn. So lots of states across the country, you see these in the headlines from coast to coast, um, 16 states have enacted 83 new laws to protect the unborn just in the last um, several weeks. And so the response to that by uh, Democrats, particularly in the Senate, is to call for a codification of Roe Roe v. Wade into federal law. And so um, people, we're going to keep an eye on this. Um, I would say, you know, it doesn't have any chance of actually passing, but it's significant that 
what, 48 of the 50 Democrats in the Senate co-sponsored it. Right. Like they're yeah. telling in advance that they're, you know, that they're supportive of yeah. it. But, that's um, right. you know, that's again, right. there's a couple of people who are going to hold the line um, and it, it won't pass. I mean, Joe Manchin's never going to go for that for West Virginia. Bob Casey of Pennsylvania has also, you know, uh, said, you know, he's not going to support it. So um, but right. I wanted to for people to be aware of that. So that's a piece of legislation you and I will keep an eye on for everyone. But just to be aware that that is an effort at a national level. Um, yeah. Because they don't like what's going on in states across the country, right? And it's it's happening. That bill is happening because of the successes of the pro life movement at the state level. Don't miss that. Amen. So this is as as terrible as this bill would be. It's a reaction to pro life successes. So I want to encourage people on that note. Absolutely, and be be engaged locally on these matters. All right, that's yeah. Matt Hawkins. Um, you can find him at matthewthawkins.com. Matt, thanks so much. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great weekend. You too. We're going to take a break for Knowing God. All right. What is it okay to talk about these days? Remember when there were like taboo subjects that we didn't talk about? And those taboo subjects might have been different in your family than they were in mine. But, you know, sort of the traditional way of thinking about it is, oh, well, we're not going to talk, you know, in in polite conversation about what? Politics, sex, religion. Well, we talk about all those things all the time now. It seems as if the one thing that is still like taboo to like really dig into is money. Not like money in the general sense, but like mm, your money and my money. Um, excruciatingly detailed information about our money, what we have and how we use it. Well, that's all changing. And um it's changing because of social media. Chris Martin joins us next. Social media is all theater and your personal finances are the next act. That is the topic of today's conversation with Chris. We'll be right back. Financial responsibility is a necessary life skill that even most adults haven't mastered, which is why it's so important to start teaching our teens at an early age. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Teens desperately need to learn how to manage their money, and that's where mom and dad come in. For example, at age 13, have your teen begin to manage a checking account and pay for minor expenses out of a weekly allowance. At 15, encourage them to do some babysitting or mow a neighbor's lawn. And when they start driving, make them pay for gas and insurance with the money they earn from a weekend job. By the time they're adults, they'll be well prepared to manage their finances wisely and responsibly. And start teaching your teen how to manage money. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Chris Martin joins me again today. He's a content marketing editor at Moody Publishers. He's the author of the Terms of Service newsletter. It's a newsletter about social media and its effects on the world. You can find it online, termsofservice.social, or you can just Google Chris Martin Terms of, Su Terms of Service and it will pop up. Um, Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks again for having me. Good to have you back. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. Let's um let's start with social media. It's all theater um, because I thought this paragraph was um, a really great summary and maybe a good jumping off point. First of all, I like the two words that you put together, financial exhibitionism. Financial exhibitionism is a natural extension of how social media has opened windows into our lives. So what's going on here um, and why do you think it matters? So social media, uh, as this article from CNET uh, describes, um, social media is all theater. Uh, A lot of us might kind of recoil at that because we think of social media as like connecting with family members or high school friends or people at church or whatever. You know, we think of the Facebook group of young moms that we're maybe a part of if we if we're a, a new or young mom or something like that. We don't think of the fact we, we because we don't always feel like we're getting up on a stage and trying to impress people. We often uh, kind of recoil at the idea. I've I've recoiled at this idea in conversations I've had. Others have recoiled at this idea that we are performing, but we are performing on social media, whether we're really trying to or not. Um, and I think one of the more insidious effects of our relationship with social media that um, can kind of just wriggle its way in without us really realizing is when we don't understand we're performing, um, even if our hearts may be theoretically in the right place. And so I I think um, social media is performance in a lot of ways. Uh, This article from CNET talks about how finances can be a new way that social media is performance. So one example, uh, there's this app called Venmo, uh, which is like an app where you can like pay your friends. It's owned by PayPal, and it really feels like what PayPal was in the early stages of PayPal. Um, and you can pay your friends like, you you know, you went to dinner and you didn't split the bill at, at dinner, you know, for the pizza you guys ordered. But afterward, you, you send 10 bucks to your friend via Venmo to kind of cover your half of the bill or whatever. Well, an interesting thing, thing about Venmo, and there are other apps like this, um, but an interesting thing about Venmo as an example is the default setting on Venmo is if you paid your friend, Carmen, if we went and got pizza and you paid for half the meal, through Venmo to me afterward. Um, and you said, Hey, this is me paying you. You kind of, when you, when you make a payment, you're posting a status update, like on Facebook kind of, Uh, and the default setting is for those payments to be public to anyone who is connected with you on Venmo. And you're connected with a lot of people on this app, even if you didn't add them on that app, because it imports them via your Facebook friends or whatever else. And so if you were to log on to Venmo, you can see a bunch of random friends that maybe you haven't talked to in a long time, paying a friend for a cab ride or paying a friend for a coffee date or, or things like that. And because the default setting is to make those payments public. And so you can make them private, thankfully, which I, I do when I use that app. But um, that's just one small way in which like finances are becoming more of a social performance sort of thing. And obviously one of the more um, blatant examples of this is how wealth is just demonstrated and kind of um, uh, uh, exhibited on an app like Instagram. Instagram is all about aesthetics, right? It's all about how things look and how how nice the image is. Maybe if you're a, an interior decorator, you take all kinds of beautiful pictures of homes that you've decorated. And, or, or if you're a realtor, you're posting um, beautiful pictures of homes that you're, you are uh, uh, showing. Or if you're a a cosmetics influencer, like a a beauty influencer, you're posting pictures of yourself and all different kinds of makeup or perhaps like clothes or things like that. 
and Instagram is all about aesthetics. And in order to get aesthetics that look nice, you need money. And often um, good aesthetics or beautiful things are a demonstration of wealth. Um, and so I think we need to all just be aware that money and, and the kind of the role that finances or money or wealth generally play in the sort of social media landscape, the way that we entertain each other, um, because that's what we're doing on social media. A lot of times, even if we don't set out with that goal, a lot of times we're, we're just entertaining one another, as Neil Postman would say. Um, and I think we need to realize that the role money plays in that and, and uh, other little things is like money is becoming much less taboo of a subject, which could be good or bad, depending on who you ask. That's very much a sort of a personal perspective sort of thing. But a lot of people are just talking about money more frankly on social media platforms like Reddit or Twitter and just being more open about what they make and what other people in similar industries make and whether or not they're being paid fairly. So it's just interesting how a topic that used to very much be taboo, even when I was growing up in the 90s, a topic that like people didn't talk about what they made to their friends or how much money they had or how expensive their house was when they bought it. But now those things are all kind of becoming fodder for social media content. So you got me scrolling through my Venmo feed and lots of people are, are splitting the cost of pizza. So in my feed, um, but yeah, paying for movies or breakfast or a deposit on a uh, on a rent, kayaking, lunch, pizza, pizza, lots of pizza, um, you know, floors and grass. So that sounds like a service payment, right? Um, it looks like yep. my uh, my sister paid somebody for party glasses. Like I'm going to have to ask about that, right? So right, you're right. Ex- that is really fascinating um, and way more information than I would have ever anticipated you could discover, right? By just scrolling your Venmo feed, I can tell where people are and who they're with and what they're doing. Yeah, it's uh, Venmo. It's a tremendously like easy and like wonderful. It's my favorite app for like paying friends for random stuff like that. Sure. But it is easily one of the creepiest apps around right now. Um, They've come under a lot of fire for this recently and have made it a lot easier to make your payments private. You used Mm -hmm. to have to make each individual payment private, and now you can set it to where every payment you make in the future is private, which is really nice. So if you have Venmo, you should go do that. Um, But they've taken a lot of fire for that, and I do think it's really creepy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Chris Martin here with all the creepy social media news of the day. Um, We're going to take a very brief break. And when we come back, Chris and I are going to talk about three simple ways to clean up your corner of the Internet. All right. We're going to each do our part. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, our day is getting better right now because Chris Martin is with us. We love talking with Chris about all things social, social media, social internet. Uh, We're going to talk right now about a new post he has at his Terms of Service newsletter. It's called Three Simple Ways to Clean Up Your Corner of the Internet. All right, Chris, how could we each do our part? Sure. So social media, there's a lot of good about social media and, and, and obviously a lot of bad, which usually we're talking about the, the bad or the, or the uh, sketchy or, or kind of creepy here. Um, but I, I think there are three pretty simple ways that 
whether we're just on Facebook or we're on a handful of social media platforms or whatever we're doing, when we're interacting with other people on social media is often when the most conflict comes um, naturally because that's when we're interacting with others and sin can enter in and things like that. So let's look at a few ways that we can clean up our section of the social internet and social media. First, let's admit when we're wrong. Uh, a running joke among people who work in social media and even those who don't even work, just people who use social media, is that no one's ever been convinced to change their mind because of a social media argument. And I think that's probably true. No, not, I mean, it's probably not true if we're going to be like literal. Surely someone has changed their mind because of something they saw on social media. But usually, like if you're getting in an argument with somebody about whatever uh, the hot topic is of the day, vaccines in a Facebook comment section – you're probably not going to convince each other. You're probably just going to make each other mad. Um, so whether whether or not it's comfortable, I think we should all be willing to admit we're wrong uh, when we're engaging online. I I have I can probably count on one or two hands the number of times I've seen a public figure own up to something they like say. When I made this comment on Facebook the other day, I was wrong, uh, or on Twitter or whatever else. Um, and so I think I think there would be a really awesome movement of just humility if we were all a little bit more ready to admit when we're wrong. Secondly, uh, let's assume the best of other people. So this is really hard to do, especially as one who spent most of his career monitoring activity on all kinds of social media platforms. Um, it's really it, when you work in social media as a profession, like managing a brand social media, even within the Christian space, perhaps especially within the Christian space, it becomes really hard to assume the best of others. Uh, because you get burned really easily and really often uh, when you assume the best of others. But uh, I think it's important to do that. Let I think we should let people fail us, let people hurt us before we assume that their motives are impure. Um, conflict will never go away from social media because conflict has been inherent in humanity since the garden, obviously. But when we assume the best of others – and we give them the benefit of the doubt. We're doing our part to prevent unnecessary conflict as it is within our power to do so. As Paul says in Romans, live, live peaceably with all as, as much as is, uh, as much as you can, as much as is, it is within your power to do so. Third and finally, let's forgive others when they wrong us. Um, so obviously, if you give others the benefit of the doubt, you're going to be wronged with some frequency. Uh, and so I think we're compelled to forgive because of how God has forgiven us. If Jesus was killed so that we might be forgiven for all the ways we grieve God, how can we deny anyone who hurts our feelings on the internet that same forgiveness? Uh, that would be hypocrisy in its purest form. And so I think we need to be willing to forgive others. Re forgiving others requires a tremendous amount of humility because it requires us to re realize that we're not gods or like any higher level of being than our fellow man or woman. Um, I think there's great power in being offended. And I think we see that online today. There's great power in holding on to a grudge, withholding forgiveness, a power to refuse to mend a broken relationship. There's power in demanding reparation or compensation from someone who's offended you on Twitter or Facebook. Um, but to forgive is to release that power from our grasp to say, you know, I forgive you and, and I'm willing to let this wrong that you committed against me go. Um, and, and we should be reminded through that that we're no more godlike or worthy um, to, be, uh, to be sinned against or less worthy to be sinned against than anyone else. And so I think when, when, we, when we forgive other people, we, we can no longer hold the offenses committed by that person against 
against them, and we lose the power to present uh, that is present in a in a withheld forgiveness. So I think we can we can forgive, we can give others the benefit of the doubt, and and we can let uh, we can admit when we're wrong. I think those are three really easy ways that we can have more positive online experiences ourselves, and just kind of clean up our little corner of the internet too. I liked the way that you concluded um, this particular post because I think this conversation about my sort of natural or default position or reaction being that of pride or defensiveness and certainly the supernatural, right, the Jesus-y way um, to react or respond, one that I'm going to have to cultivate over time uh, is that of humility where I'm going to recognize that I'm going to be sinned against, that is going to happen, and I sin against others like that's going to happen too. And so if I enter, if I enter in acknowledging that, expecting other people to, um, you know, to be their best, to give them the benefit of the doubt, to pause before I judge them or judge their actions and recognize that, you know, life is complex and people are complex and every single day is complex. And, you know, let's, let's press pause before we hit enter right or send yeah yeah i think there's a huge part i think there's a huge part in that yeah i think it's really important to recognize this is something i learned very early on it kind of kept me sane when i was running social media for for lifeway back in the day um you need to recognize when you're engaging with somebody online if they hurt you that that they have all kinds of factors and variables going on in their life at any given moment that could have right. caused them to hurt you. And and just kind of understand that someone could be having the worst day of their life or the worst day of their week, and they could have just decided to take it out on you. And you can, you've probably done that in some ways to people before, whether it's the waiter at a restaurant or the cashier at Starbucks. And there are ways to give grace when you just recognize that that dynamic online. All right. Yeah. I just, um, I appreciate the conversations that you're willing to have and the way that you're willing to have them. Um, if you could challenge people today to do, to either do or not do one thing, um, on the social internet as an, as an actor, like, right, we are actors there. We're performers there in social media. Um, if you could either encourage us to do one thing or not to do one thing, what might that be? Okay. Between now and the end of the weekend, everyone listening, I want you to publicly affirm somebody on your preferred social media platform about something that you appreciate about them, Uh, a way perhaps you see Christ working in their life. Not, hey, the dress you were wearing the other day looked really nice, or you preached a really good sermon on Sunday, Pastor, but something that's like, I see Christ working in you because of how well you love your kids, or something like that. Something that's really affirming. I want everyone listening, I challenge you to say something like that to somebody publicly on social media this weekend. So I had an experience of this, not on social media, but in a small group that I've been interacting with for the last couple of weeks. And let's just say there was a very high profile individual in our group. Um, and and he, at the end of his, uh, at the end of his experience, um, he publicly acknowledged another person in the group from another part of the country who I guarantee you no one has ever recognized like for anything. Like she is a person who has actually kind of sought to be invisible. He has a lot of high visibility and she did not even know that he was talking about her. Um, and he had seen her on several occasions be what he described as the go back girl. 
the person who goes back to make sure that somebody doesn't get left behind or somebody doesn't get left out or somebody doesn't, you know, doesn't finish by themselves last. And he was publicly acknowledging this and she didn't even recognize that about herself or anticipate that she would ever be seen um, for something so good and godly. I happen to know that she's a Christian. And so I think for her, it's just an act of being Jesus-y, but the fact that a person who is always seen acknowledged a person who is never seen for something that often goes unseen was really critical. And so I appreciate that encouragement, Chris, and we need to be doing it. We need to be people yeah. who are acknowledging the best in others and publicly uh, speaking, you know, pointing it out and then saying, I, I see Jesus operating in you in this way. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. I, I feel better when I do that. To be, I don't do it enough, but I feel really good and I feel like I'm participating in the body of Christ and positively injecting something good into the often negative and, and doomsayer social media landscape. And so I think um, it would be great for, for anyone listening to do that at some point in the next few days. Literally building up the body of Christ. All right, Chris Martin, you're doing it every day, and we certainly appreciate not only what you're doing, but how you're doing it. Chris is a content marketing editor at Moody Publishers, who we love. He's the author of the Terms of Service newsletter. You can check it out on Substack. It's termsofservice.social. You can just Google Chris Martin Terms of Service, though, and easily find it. Chris, as always, thank you so much. Thanks. Have a great weekend. You too. We'll be right back. All right. Do you have a question that you would like to ask me and you would like me to answer publicly? Um, we're going to do this Conversations with Carmen live stream event this Sunday evening, June the 27th at 7 p.m. Central. It's going to be a special virtual Q&A experience. I am hosting it on uh, the YouTube channel and the Facebook page of Faith Radio. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to MyFaithRadio.com. Click on uh, the link there for the Conversations with Carmen and go ahead and submit a question. Yes, in part so that I can, um, you know, get a little prepared in advance, but also to make sure that your question gets in. So go ahead and go to MyFaithRadio.com. Click on the Conversations with Carmen uh, live stream event little thing you'll see there. And you're going to need to do things like subscribe to our YouTube channel, like our Facebook page, but go ahead and join the conversation by posting your question in this little form, right? So that's going to help me get prepared for Sunday evening. Um, we look forward to you joining us there. It's going to be a really good time. You could also just text the word event to 877-933-2484. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.